Latinos and Clinical Researchers. Thank you so much for being here in today's uh, webinar. It is our second of the series for Career Pathways so that you can get to know the co-founders of Latinos and Clinical Research and their career pathways. And as we continue to go, we will start grabbing more and more uh, individuals, members, as well as people that we've, meet, we've met have really amazing backgrounds and stories so that you understand and know that, you know, there's not just one way or two ways or three ways. There's multiple ways in this industry. So uh, let's go ahead and introduce the co-founder, Judy Galindo. Judy, so give us a little uh, background, um, you know, how you started, you know, uh, where you're at right now, et cetera. Yeah, so I started in clinical research about 17 years ago as a research assistant when I was in college. I think my third year, I responded to an ad on Craigslist for a research assistant position for a sleep disorders research clinic in Mira Mesa. Uh, I responded, I got interviewed, I didn't know what it was about, but they hired me. And I actually had to go into the office a few hours during the week, certain days of the week at night, I think like after five o'clock to administer questionnaires to our patients that would stay the night for the, the overnight visits for the sleep studies. Um, very basic questionnaires. I think I would have to do like vital signs and a few other basic things. So I would work al along with the sleep techs that worked at night, just go in a few hours, do that, and then go back and then do that a few days a week. And then eventually I moved into um, cr help create a call center. They didn't have a call center. At that time, 17 years ago, sleep disorder uh, research study was huge. So we were always busy. We had a bunch of studies going on, a bunch of patients. So there was always patients coming in um, for sleep visits. It was usually two nights in a row they had to do, or sometimes three nights in a row. So we were always um, pre-screening patients over the phone, but they never had an official um like a call center uh, setup. So I helped set that up. We hired more staff. I worked in that for a bit. And then I moved into a research position, research assistant position, um, assisting the study coordinators. So whatever they needed help with, I would help with. Um, I became um, familiar with creating source docs. So they called me the source doc queen because I would create the source docs for all the new studies um, that we would start. And I did that for a while um, until I finally started getting more training on becoming a study coordinator. And then eventually I became study coordinator with my own studies. Um, and then eventually I also was sent to other locations we had. So there was a location, a few locations in the LA area, uh, one in San Francisco, um, and then I think of Fountain Valley. And so I would actually go and help other coordinators out with anything they needed, um, whether it was source documents, assisting with data entry and stuff like that. Um, so I, at that same time, when I was a coordinator, I was also kind of training to be a manager because they would send me and I actually offered I was the one like I want to go because I want to learn all this stuff. And I want to keep, you know, advancing in, in clinical research. And then the last um, position I had within the company was an, for an office in El Centro that they were trying to set up a research center with a sleep doctor that actually worked in San Diego, but he had his private office in El Centro. And so they actually opened a research center and I would go down there and help the coordinators out. That only lasted for, I think, a few years. It didn't um, really go anywhere. And then at that time, we actually, um, there were some investors that were looking to buy the research center and they actually did. And then after that, things changed, just the whole, the whole atmosphere, the type of studies we did, 
Um, we weren't as busy at that time. Um, and I actually wanted to move up. I was ready. You know, I kind of, I felt I had done everything I could do at that company. I wanted to be a manager. I actually wanted to manage one of the other sites. I didn't get that position. And I think that's, that's when I realized that, you know, I think it was time for me to move on. I'm very thankful for that research center because that's where I learned everything about clinical research over several years. Um, I had a lot of support. My coworkers were amazing. Um, it's just everything that I, I have, like I know now I learned from that research center. Um, so I think my next step I, after that was like, maybe I should be a monitor. So after I left that company, I actually went to apply to a few CROs. And I actually do remember getting an interview with PPD. But I didn't after oh, going your favorite to that, company met. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at that time, I think they offered me a position. I was kind of like, I don't know if I want to jump into this. You know, I had just graduated uh, college and I was like, I don't know, am I ready to be a monitor? Because I knew, you know, you had to travel. You were going to be all over the place. I didn't have kids. I was single at that time, so I could have done it. But I felt like there was more I wanted to do at a clinical research um, site level. Like I wasn't ready to take that jump. So I actually reached out to um, one of the doctors that we used to subcontract with at the El Central office. And he was a psychiatrist and I asked him for a letter of recommendation because I was, you know, looking to go into something else in clinical research. And when he found that out, he was like, hey, I want you to come down and meet with me and another doctor. We want to open a research center. And yeah. so that's how Sun Valley Research Center started 13 years oh, ago. Awesome. Yeah. So it was kind of not, I mean, I guess I didn't know what I was expecting at that time. So I knew everything that I knew from research, but not actually running it. I've never done all that part. Setting up a research center was all new to me. Um, so I took the chance because I didn't really have anything else going on. I mean, either I was going to go be a monitor or I was going to go work for another research center or I could do this, start this research center. And so I did. And for a few years, you know, it was like getting the research center set up, what equipment do we need, all the, you know, licenses, insurance, whatever things you need to do, plus the whole business development, like, how are we going to get sites? And I mean, how are we going to get research studies? And how are they, we're going to get noticed as a site? Um, we actually I did, we did reach out, like I reached out to a few people I knew in clinical research at that time. And that we also worked with, um, I guess you can say a study broker um, of the first couple of years who actually referred a few studies to us. And that's how we, we kind of started getting busy and getting noticed. After a few years, we just kind of started getting studies on our own, uh, repeat studies with um, CROs and sponsors. And then from there, it just grew um, all in psychiatry, mostly psychiatry, some CNS. And then it started with me. We actually took one of the staff from um, our one of our doctor's private practice um, to work with us in research. She was really interested. So she's actually one of the coordinators I've had the longest. She's still with us to this day. And then we hired other staff over the years and trained them. But everybody had to be trained. Uh, there's no clinical research trainings or centers at that time in that area. So it was still new to everybody, still new today. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. So now I oversee this research center, um, make sure you know everyone's doing their job, that we have all these studies going on, that we're recruiting, that you know, are we reaching out to the community to find our patients? Are we collaborating? Like everything, <laughs> I'm in charge of everything. So, um, awesome. so when did you start Sun Valley? How many years ago? So about 13 years ago. So I was ago. in, yeah, research for like four years prior to that. Sure. Mm -hmm. And getting back to the company you initially started with, if they were sending you to San Francisco, it sounds as though you could have worked in a or participated in a sleep study on your own. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> something else, especially for having you drive there. 
Yeah. No, they they actually would cover the the airfare and my oh, okay. hotel meals and no, it was in That's if nice. it was I would drive to the closer offices like if it was in LA or Fountain Valley that was easier to drive to. Because okay. that's well, like a few hours okay. away. But no, San Francisco, they would fly me out, and I actually like going. So of course, I would offer. Sure, sure. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I actually think it's pretty awesome where you said that in college, you 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 know you were already kind of doing research. For me, in college, I it's kind of like you know it was always in 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 my you know face. I just never knew they had a you know, especially the rural area, right? They had this uh, sector where you could go in and they were doing like diabetes checks and things like that. And it was some sort of research that was happening. And um, yeah, so I mean, it's pretty awesome that you took advantage of your own research availability there. When it you did, but it's weird because I did fall into it though. So I was a pre-med biology major in, in college. I thought I was going to go to med school. And then I realized after taking all these science classes that I don't know if that was, I was going to be able to handle med school. <laughs> and I didn't like the lab research. I didn't like the whole university research or being out in the field collecting. I didn't like any of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, well, what am I going to do with this degree? And then I don't know if, I don't know why I was even looking for a job, maybe a part-time job. And I responded to this research assistant job. And then I, I realized this whole other field that existed that I never knew existed. And yeah, that, that was my calling, I guess. And I didn't even know. That's awesome. I honestly wish it was, that was kind of my situation with you. Cause like, I liked the classes. I had medical genomics, but what ended up happening to me is after like 400 hours of shadowing different specialties, I was like, okay, this is probably not going to happen, <laughs> you know, but that's awesome. That is so awesome that you had that opportunity and like your whole journey. That's you know, all these years and you being as successful as you've been. And then, you know, even now here you have that next level of exposure within the industry. So that's great. And I'm like super grateful that I get to not just be around you, but everybody, right. I'm really learning a lot from all of y'all and your, your journeys. But um, so I guess one thing I would say, since you have been a site owner for a while now, what would you say is um, one of the biggest things that helped you grow the most? Like out of all the I guess qualities or skill sets that you learned, the one thing that's pretty much continued to give throughout the years. Yeah, you know, working at the first research center, um, I learned so many skills, but the one thing I always took away from them is working in a team setting. I mean, we had several coordinators, we had a few research assistants, and everybody would jump in and help out each other. Didn't, doesn't matter if it, whoever the coordinator was of the study and whatever was going on, but somebody would handle the blood work and process it. And we'd all be working on it. It doesn't matter if we were all coordinators, we'd still help with whatever we could. And then we, you know, have our lunches together we yeah, it's just that whole group atmosphere so I remember take when we started the research center as we grew I wanted it to be like a team effort like a family you know you spend so much time at work um, we want it to be fun but then you know you have to do your work too so I think I took that with me and I wanted it to be um, a lot more comfortable um, because at the same time, sometimes working at these places like especially with the doctors and nurse practitioners they're not always so accessible and you can't always go and talk to them and, you know, you don't feel so comfortable. And I wanted that to be different at the research center that we have. I wanted it to be like where we can interact with each other. Um, and it doesn't matter what your background was, like whether it was a doctor or NP and that we can collaborate and have these conversations about research um, when we run into issues like, hey, we have this protocol and this criteria and we have these patients, but I'm not sure, like I need to go ask the doctor. You have to be able to be comfortable doing that. And so that's the type of atmosphere I think we have at work. It's more, I feel like it's more like a family, like they're my second family. 
That's sure. nice. <laughs> so do you have any, I'm just curious, do you have any regrets on the pathway you chose uh, or ever any kind of hindsight? I wish I would have went this route or. No, I don't. I just, you know, I, I think I mentioned this before, maybe in another video that I wish I would have um, maybe gone back to school and maybe done like become a nurse practitioner or PA because in our community, that's really needed in Imperial County. Um, there's not too many bilingual nurse mm -hmm. practitioners or bilingual Absolutely. physician assistants. And I think there's a lack of it. Actually, we've yeah. been trying to hire one for research and doc our doctor's private clinic. And it's so hard to find any candidates that want to work in Imperial County that have that background and much less a, a doctor. It's impossible to bring in a doctor. So I kind of wish I would have gone back to school because I think it's I never too late, though. Yeah, it's never too late. I know, and yeah. it's on my list. Yes, I, I know. I've looked into. I looked into a nurse practitioner pro. I just have Do to take it. a lot of uh, prerequisites. That I, mean, I don't know. If I mean, <laughs> what are you? Uh, this is probably not a, a good thing to record. But what are you? Thirty-five. Um, I wish I'm thirty-nine. Thirty-nine. <laughs> oh, so you're that's, good. That's not too late. Thank you. Thank you. Know, that's not too late. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. We'll see. I've looked into it. No, I have looked into it, and it's kind of one of those. You know, you have a bucket list of things you want to do, sure. and I think since I didn't go to med school, but I still always wanted to be, a, you know, pro, like a. Can I be a PA? Could I be an NP and help patients on that, that yeah. aspect? So we'll see. Yeah. I, something I will say, um, given that you brought up schooling, uh, for me, I, I I went that route, the pre-PA society and all that. So I was getting ready for med school and then PA school. I, I definitely, for me, it's definitely not in the in the cards. But I really do wish that prior to graduating, I wish that um, I would have known about you know y'all's academies, CRC <laughs> Security Academy. I would have honestly have done it. I would have done it hands down. I would have saved myself an extra loan from basic classes <laughs> and I would have taken y'all's academy and got myself a job and secured a job before I would have came out and would have been good to go. So for any of y'all listening, <laughs> not a shameless plug. This is complete honesty. It would have saved me so much time and probably a lot of money as a student and as a graduate. So um, yeah, I mean, Judy's definitely going back to school because she wants that. You know, uh, I think if I could do anything, uh, it would more than likely be getting the certification with you guys so it's still important uh, you yeah. finish at least your uh undergraduate degree oh yeah. yes no yeah, no, no. of so. course of course <laughs> of course most definitely and I'm, I'm actually a true believer of education i definitely think you know it's not for everyone i understand but if you really want to keep going and educating yourself yes. you should i mean i'm a certified clinical research coordinator through acrp and i got my certification years ago i think when i don't know if i was still in my research center i had left and i've kept it valid because i think it's important to me um i'm working on my master's degree right now through ucsc and advanced studies in clinical research because I think that was an easier route right now, but I am still looking like maybe I'll keep going to school when the time is right or, you know, after my master's. Um, but I think it is important. You got to always keep learning, educating yourself, especially on clinical research and in other areas. Um, and it, keep going if you can. Oh, uh, this is curiosity. I, I'm asked this question all the time. How hard is it to pass the ACRP? Oh, uh, you know what? Could, I, could I, you I, pass it now? I mean, I, I would hope I could pass it now. I think I could pass it now, but I've heard it's really hard now compared to when I took it, which was, I don't know, I'm thinking like 14 years ago, maybe yeah, I took I've, it. I've read those forums, those forums in ACRP, yeah. and I'm just like, wow, yeah. okay. Yeah, and actually we have, um, I have one of my coordinators who I'm trying to get to take it. And, you know, she hasn't passed 
she didn't pass the first time, but that's okay. We're working on her to get it. Um, and it's, get it done. CRP is like three fifty four hundred per test. Yeah, right? I think oh, it's something like that. Yeah, three fifty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I remember. Soka is a little know. more, I believe. I think Soka is more, but they're but yeah. they're I don't think just for clinical research coordinator like certified. I think mm-hmm. it's a professional, so like kind of right. the full spectrum. Right. right. So yeah, and, I do think that there's just more and probably a little bit harder too. Who yeah. knows? And you know the other thing I didn't mention because I know we were talking about clinical research. Um, that before I got into clinical research, I was working as an accounting assistant. And then over the years, I kept working in that industry still too on the side and started working as a bookkeeper, um, probably like around 16, 17 years ago. And I worked with someone who had their own business and clients on their own. And then I realized, hey, I could do that on my own. And so I actually did. And I I went and just posted an ad on Craigslist and started getting a few clients on my own. So I actually do bookkeeping on the side. I have my own small bookkeeping business. And so that is where I kind of gained all this accounting background, financial background that I know. Um, and it's definitely helped me run the business because I can oh, do sure. all these things like financial accounting, bookkeeping, and I don't have to outsource all of that and keep it internally. But I also understand it so I can like explain it to my PI, you know, when we're talking about reports and financial stuff in a way that he understands it without having to, to go through a CPA. So yeah, it's actually pretty cool. Well, so, I'm so sure you're a blessing true, to your PI. <laughs> yeah, so you're a true uh, generalist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like we always keep on, on mentioning that. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Dan was the one that uh, started all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Judy, what was, what I mean, one thing that you learned uh, by having the business? I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. you learn all the the background, the the process, and all the stuff when when you when when you were uh, working at the uh, research facility where you were working. But then after that, when you had your own site, what was something that you learned uh, that you didn't? Uh, um, so I had to learn contracts and budgets, which you know, to this day, even though I'm I have an accounting background. I'm not a huge fan of working on them, but I have. To, I know I have to do it. Um, but I had to learn that because at my research center, I didn't. That we had a director, we had a manager at the old research center, so I never had to. I wasn't exposed to that. I didn't have to do that. I think the most that we had to do was like regulatory for our studies, um, and that's pretty much anything financial. We didn't really mess with. Um, so that was a whole new thing that I didn't know anything about, and. I think I took some online classes, uh, I read stuff, I Google, whatever I could find information, I might have outreached, like, I think I reached out to, you know, a few contacts I had at that time to figure this out. And I learned over the years, I mean, I probably if I go back and look at my original contracts and budgets, they probably weren't that great. <laughs> they could have been better. Um, but I think over the years, I have learned, um, I actually do um, attend uh, the Magi conference, um, the contracts and budgets, just specifically to update myself on information in regards to contracts, budgets, things to include, things to consider, because every year it's changing, you know, all this information that you can request things for a site. It's just actually throughout the year it changes. And especially like the past year with COVID now all these things that you got to consider that you got to get reimbursed for you got to get covered what things you can ask for and then transitioning to electronic systems. That's another thing you got to consider or you're implementing. So then the overhead is higher. Just all these like, yeah, that, that was probably I think one of the hardest things I had to learn 
and I'm still learning. Uh, 17 years later, I'm still learning and figuring all that stuff out when it comes to contracts so, and budgets. So mm-hmm. finding studies on your own, uh, you mentioned you had a broker though. So I would yeah. think that would be so, the first and foremost. Uh, yeah, I guess that. So I would say it was harder, but it wasn't because we, we got lucky with a broker we had at that time who I still keep in contact with. And we did get studies um, probably a year or two into it. Um, it took us, we were, it was a very slow startup, but finally when we started getting studies, we were kind of getting them consistently. Um, but in, then we, over the 13 years, though we did have some slow periods so yeah we didn't we didn't continue with a broker but it was just keeping that constant flow of studies and outreach because you still have to do a ton of business development as a site owner um you still have to reach out i mean you would think you would get repeat work from the studies and the sponsors you work with but you don't all the time um so you just have to kind of stay on top of the pipeline and the study leads and if you don't then that's why research centers have the slow periods that they do I mean, the lifeblood so how- of the life. I'm sorry, Monica. The lifeblood of a research center is studies, patients. Mm-hmm. I mean, exactly. if, you're, if you're lacking in either of those, I mean, of course, you want the best budget you can get. Mm-hmm. But if you're lacking in those other two, well, it doesn't That's matter true. what the budget is. Exactly. You don't, you don't have any patients or, or studies. <laughs> or you don't have studies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so yeah, what okay. do you do? Sorry, Chris. No, no, no I'm done. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> what do you do in order to keep up the flow or the pipeline always uh, busy? So, yeah. So that, at that time we worked with, they were kind of a, uh, these two study brokers that we worked with a year over the years. I think uh, one went on his own. I actually keep in contact with one of them still to this day. And I still get referrals from him all the time. Um, and I still pretty much follow up on any leads that I get. Like what, now, now we get emails from the various databases that we're we're registered with, like, you know, that you you fill out for your investigator. So we actually do get, I've noticed in the past couple of years, we get more consistent questionnaires about the various studies they have, feasibility questionnaires. So we fill those out, um, follow up with any contacts um, that I have on upcoming studies. We let our monitors know that, you know, we're interested in more studies. Um, now reaching out on LinkedIn. So anytime I see some kind of article about medication or, you know, it's in this phase, and I'll go to their website and see like, oh, okay, are they going to go into phase two or three, then that's something we can work on. And so I see, how can I find out how I can email them or, or get a contact or who knows who I can reach out to for this company so I can find out more about this. So it's, it's a combination of things. It's just not one thing that you do to get studies, you actually and you have to be on top of this, because if you don't do all of those things, then you're not going to get those studies. And it's not going to be a consistent flow. Well, I'm just so grateful I'm around you guys because all of y'all are very, uh, very persistent in each of the things that you'll do. And so it just really gives me insight. And I keep learning. So y'all keep learning so that I can keep learning. <laughs> we'll do what we can for you, Ashley. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Seriously, don't fall. <laughs> don't fall, sir. Julie, all right. if so, if, sorry. If somebody uh, uh, is thinking on opening a site, what will be... Uh, a tip that you will give them to start their business? Um, So if they're thinking of opening a site, first you have to find a good PI. So a good PI who is going to put in that time and effort that you need to get the 
site started. Um, on the other hand of it, you need to start reaching out for potential studies. What type of um, patients do you have in your with this PI or what database do you have? Hopefully the, you should have a PI who is connected to a database, whether his private practice or somewhere where you're gonna recruit these patients from that he does have um, patients and focus on those, um, I think those therapeutic uh, studies that you want to bring on that he has patients for, but you definitely need a dedicated PI um, and, you know, act the studies coming in the patient population in order to be successful. The other stuff like setting it up is pretty easy. I mean, getting the licenses, that's not too bad. It's just having the combination of the PI and the studies and the patient population that's going to really um, make you successful as well as you start to grow that staff that is going to support all of those efforts to make it successful. Well, awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. Or you yeah. can also always reach out to the SES <laughs> and get... Uh, <laughs> The uh, SES is a company, uh, for those that don't know, the <laughs> SES is a company that Chris and Dan uh, has, and they do, um, um, I mean, they basically hold your hand until your business is uh, yeah. successful and working. <laughs> yes, and you know what, if I knew they would have existed back then when we started, and, and I, think, I don't know, maybe you guys did 13 years ago, no. I totally would have used your services. And then I would have saved myself so much time and all this effort and everything that we had Headache, to do. Headaches specifically. Yes, yes, headaches yeah. specifically, like a lot of stuff you guys already have in place that I wouldn't have to deal with, especially with the whole study leads. Um, I definitely recommend it. Um, but you know, it started the way it did. Um, but the, for anybody looking to start a new research center, definitely um, like a service like yourself, definitely reach out and then you'll save so much time. And you, then you can focus on the other things you need to do to get this this research center started. Well, very kind of both of you. <laughs> and you know what, before we end, just another plug, CRC and CRA Academy, check it out <laughs> if you're new to the industry. And uh, also- This you know, turned into a commercial. I know, just say, you know, giving resources, it works. You know, but none of that pathway. existed when I started I know, 13 years exactly. ago. I didn't know. And I, and I, think that, I think that's also why we created Latinos in Clinical Research, right? There wasn't an organization like this. We're creating that platform. So mm -hmm. all the more reason why we definitely need to share this information with you guys. CRC Academy, P CRA Academy, uh, for those that are PIs, you know, soon to be PI Academy. And so... Um, definitely a lot of things in the works, trying to bring as much as we can to you all. But thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate it. Please like, subscribe to us on LinkedIn or uh, on our website, latinosinclinicalresearch.com. If you have any questions, please reach out to me, Judy, Monica, or Chris, or even Dan, and uh, we'll be happy to, to help you. And that, thank you so much. And y'all have great a great information, day. Judy. Thank, yeah, you. thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Judy. <laughs>